0: so good to be with you all this morning, to see so many familiar faces. My heart is lifted. I am seeing people who have been recovering from surgery who are back with us for the first time. I'm seeing folks who've been away at college who are back with us, and I have to tell you I'm especially excited this morning because this handsome gentleman is with us today. This is my husband, Dalton. You don't see him a lot. You may have never seen him. Aside from my first Sunday here, he's the senior pastor at Decatur First Methodist, so we don't often get to worship together, so I'm very excited that he could be here today, and I'd like to tell you it's because I'm preaching, but I think it's because of the awesome music that y'all have brought to the day, so I think I might be playing second fiddle to be a little punny this morning. <laughs> Thanks, Eric. Thanks, <laughs> Eric. Well, you know, I think it's a great day to have uh, bluegrass music as the culmination of our shared worship style, because each week, as Pastor Eric mentioned, we've been walking through different ways of praising God and music, and it's interesting because... When we praise God through different music, we lift up different voices and we hear things in a different way. And bluegrass is really unique, as you heard in that first song together, because it features at different points in the music, different voices, if you will, of instruments. And when you hear it from different instruments, you start to hear the same song in a different way. That's kind of how it is with the different voices in Scripture, both Old and New Testament. Each person of faith lifts up for us as we hear their story, a different aspect of the faith, something that makes us say, I've never heard that before. I've never thought of that before. Wow, that person is really speaking to where I am in my life right now. And I don't know about you, but I've kind of enjoyed spending some time with Mary outside of the Christmas season. You know. Mary so often for us, not just in faith, but in art and music, is really focused on Mary, draped in blue, great with child, maybe riding on a donkey. And when we think of Mary, that's the Mary that comes to us. We see the Mary in the Annunciation, the Mary at the birth pondering this beautiful gift, and we forget that after those moments, Mary was still around. Remember Mary lost Jesus in the temple? We remember that part. But then there's some more to Mary's story that comes uniquely to us in the Gospel of John. You know, in John's Gospel, the birth narrative is not about Mary riding to Bethlehem with Joseph. The birth narrative for John is the Word becoming flesh. And we don't even hear about Mary until the second chapter when we find Mary with an adult Jesus at a wedding in Cana of Galilee. And Mary's big line in the whole scene is, Jesus, I think we've run out of wine. And then she sort of disappears for a good portion of that gospel until we find her again where we will find her today, at the foot of the cross. Before we get too far into this today, I I want to put a little trigger warning out there. Mary's story is a real and a deep and a true story because Mary's story has both great joy and great sorrow. And today we're going to be talking about the place in Mary's life that has deep meaning because it has deep sorrow. As we know, Mary is a mother that loses a child. And we don't talk about that often, but I want to warn you that if that's a place in your own life that is tender, if that's a place that's difficult for you, I want you to have permission to do what you need to do to care for your soul. But I want to be honest that that's part of what we're going to talk about today. Now, the good news of Mary's story is it doesn't end in sorrow. In fact, the best news of Mary and the life of Christ is that death does not get the last word. But today, we are going to take ourselves into perhaps a difficult place, a place that sometimes is hard to think of on its own, but sometimes when we hear it in the midst of a story, or if you thought about it, when you sing it in the midst of a song, you can say it in a different way. I mean, we sang songs today about dying, right? And we were kind of tapping our feet. (laughs) That doesn't seem normal. But we were doing it because we were remembering the great by and by that we will all be called up someday to be reunited with loved ones. We sang a song of confession. I don't know if anyone was confessing along with, with that song, but about where we've gone wrong and how we stand in need of Jesus. And so today it's my prayer that this scripture about Mary, Mary's life, might open us to engage in what can be a difficult topic and to see the light of God's love shining through it. So this morning, our gospel lesson comes from John towards the very end, the 19th chapter, and it's verses 25 through 30. After I finish reading our scripture for this morning, I hope you will join me in affirming these words. I'll say, this is the word of God for the people of God. It's all of us sitting here, and you, the people of God, will join in saying, thanks be to God. So hear now God's word for us today. Jesus' mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene stood near the cross. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he'd loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, woman, here is your son. Then he said to the disciple, Here is your mother. And from that time on, this disciple took her into his home. After this, knowing that everything was already completed, in order to fulfill the scripture, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar full of sour wine was nearby, so the soldiers soaked a sponge in it, placed it on a hyssop branch, and held it to his lips. When he had received the sour wine, Jesus said, it is completed. Bowing his head, he gave up his life. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks Thanks be to God. God. When we hear these words from much later in Mary's life, it's hard to comprehend that this is the same woman who sung, my soul magnifies the Lord her firstborn, her promised child, the one who all of creation had waited for, is crucified. Just hearing that puts a pit in my stomach. It breaks my heart. The unimaginable grief of a parent. That deep loss. Perhaps you've sat in this place or sat with someone in this place. It's one of those places in life where we never want to find ourselves, But when we do find ourselves there, it can be a very holy space, a thin space, where it can feel like even though grief is so real, the presence of God is even more real to us in that moment. It can be both a place that is very dark and heavy, almost suffocating, but also a place where we start to see the light dawning in. This place for Mary as a person of faith is just as real and true and valuable to her as is the Annunciation when the angel told her that she would conceive a child of the Holy Spirit. How interesting is it then that the writer of John's Gospel tells this story in this way. You know, the Gospel of John is often referred to as the the odd one out. (laughs) Three of the Gospels look the same and then there's John. John changes so much about how we hear the Gospel story and we see it again in this moment at the cross. In Luke's Gospel, the only people who are talked to as Jesus was on the cross were the two criminals, one at his left and one at his right. And while Mary may have been present, it's not something that's really dwelled on in Luke's gospel. In Mark's gospel, we hear that there are women who were present at the crucifixion, but it says they were at some distance. Perhaps it was Mary Magdalene, Mary, mother of James. And then Matthew's gospel sort of blends the previous two. We hear about the criminals, but we also hear about the women seated at a distance. It's only the Gospel of John that places Mary at the foot of the cross, near enough to hear the voice of her son one last time. And you know, it makes me wonder, what is John trying to tell us? What are we seeing of Mary in this moment, that the writer of this Gospel felt that it was important for us to have Mary right there with Jesus? You know, it's probably worth thinking about the scripture we heard this morning and what Jesus says to Mary as he is on the cross. Looking at his disciple, the beloved disciple, he gives his mother to his friend and his friend to his mother that they might have one another after this horrible day. Woman, here is your son, here is your mother. There's something in these words that brings up for us that whole biblical historical context that maybe there's just some really practical reason Jesus had to tend to this last bit of business on the crucifixion cross. Perhaps he knows that in that world women didn't have much of a place, and and if Mary were to be cared for, he had to see after her as her oldest son. So maybe that's why Jesus said, disciple, please take care for my mother, which makes good sense from what we know of scripture and what people have told us about that time. Except for when you realize that Jesus had brothers. (laughs) Jesus was not an only child. So, why didn't Jesus just say, James, you need to look after your mom. I have to go on and do some other things. So it seems that maybe the point of this, while it could have something to do with taking care of Mary, might not be exclusively about taking care of Mary. Maybe Mary represents more than just a practical concern that Jesus has to take care of. There was a noted scholar of John. Her name was Gail O'Day. She was a professor at the seminary we attended, and she was lovely and brilliant. And she's written in a commentary about this scene, specifically from the angle of the women who are featured at the crucifixion. In John's Gospel, Mary is a witness to Jesus' earthly ministry from the beginning on. That makes sense, right? She was with Jesus when he was born. She sure was there. And she was with Jesus all the way through. And the beloved disciple for John becomes this representative of the community that the writer of John is a part of, the future community of faith that will go forward So what Gayle O'Day says is that maybe there, at the foot of the cross, in this moment of great sorrow, we see this intimate and loving connection between Jesus and the people present with him, which forges a line between Mary, who represents what has been, the past, all that has come before, and the beloved disciple, who will carry the faith into the future. In connecting these two people, a new family is born. A new family and faith. In the story of Christ, which is central to our faith, Mary becomes this linchpin character holding together what has been and what will be. In each of these moments we find a Mary who always seems very open and honest and full of emotion. Have you noticed that? We don't know much about Mary, and maybe that's why she's such a fascinating figure because it seems like in Scripture we know just enough about Mary for our imagination to take off and to imagine what she might have been feeling. We hear just enough words of Mary about her joy or excitement for us to jump into that space and imagine what it would be like if an angel stood before us and told us we were to hold the the Savior of the universe, we were to hold God's Son, see Mary here at the cross, she doesn't say much. She doesn't say anything, in fact. If she does, John's gospel didn't record it, and yet we know enough about that scene. We've seen enough of human life to step into that space where Mary is at the foot of the cross and to imagine, right, what it would have been like. In some ways, because we know so much and yet so little about Mary, Mary becomes a person in our faith who gives us permission to feel the full swath of human emotion. Because in our faith, Mary is humanity, she is the human bearer of God. She is part of the reason that Jesus can be 100% divine and 100% human. And so when we hear Mary's story, like in the Annunciation that we shared a few weeks ago, we can feel her awe. We can imagine her bewilderment when she starts to ask questions like, how can this be? We can sense her resolve when she decides to take that next faithful step. And the story of Christ's birth and all of those beautiful images that have been painted to depict it. We can imagine Mary's wonderment, gazing at this child, not just the wonderment we always have when we see a new child full of potential, but the kind of wonderment and curiosity and quiet contemplation to ponder what this child will mean for the world. And now we find Mary here at the foot of the cross as her miraculous child embraces death, and she And what we can only imagine is unbelievably deep sorrow opens up to accept once again a future that is very much out of her control. In seminary, I had the unique experience of taking a class, and bear with me, it's going to get a little bit nerdy. So just follow me on this journey. It was a class on the history of Christian thought, (laughs) which is literally what it says it's everything people have ever thought about being Christian. (laughs) from the beginning on, but the curriculum that was being used at Candler at that time took all of these great moments of thought in the Christian history, and it paired them with a piece of art or something that spoke. For me, this is fascinating because it, like, lodged in my brain in a really special way. So, in fact, if anyone ever talks about Enlightenment thinking, I see the British Museum. Forever and ever, if someone says Enlightenment thinking and Christianity, I will see the British Museum. But there was one piece that was displayed in class that I'm gonna ask that we put up now that literally took my breath away the first time I saw it. I've never been to Rome or to St. Peter's where this image is displayed, but this is Michelangelo's Pieta. When I first saw this image, I was in my 20s. Dalton, we might have been married or we might have been getting married, but we definitely didn't have kids and kids were the last things on our mind. So when I saw this, I was not connecting with it as a mother. I had never seen any other Pietas, so I didn't bring any of that to mind. But there was something about this. When the professor put it on the screen, I couldn't turn away. I was wholly connected to it, and I couldn't figure it out. (laughs) You see, in Michelangelo's Pieta that that sits in St. Peter's, Mary is pictured looking down, holding almost like an infant child, the adult body of her son, Jesus. In some ways, her face looks at peace. I don't know, maybe resigned? Silent? Words too hard to speak? As she cradles this child. And when I I saw this image, I understood that moment from John's scripture in a new way in a way that I could possibly not at that moment in my life understood. And yet, as I have gone through life and hit moments of great sorrow and sadness, I I come back to this image. And I have to tell you, it's, it's not because I sit in the sadness with Mary, which I do at some level, but because I see in this image this profound love that transcends the two people imagined here a love that transcends mother and son, Mary and Jesus, I can almost see in this picture God holding humanity. God's great love and sorrow over the brokenness of humanity. God's great love and grace that would hold that brokenness like a sacred object. When I see this image, I realize that there is space in me and space in my faith to go here to feel this. That even this moment is a holy and sacred moment where God is present. You know, often in church when we just keep merry at Christmas or maybe we bring her out in this scripture on Good Friday, one day in the spring. We lose this reminder that Mary is for us as people of faith, that there is a place for every space we find ourselves in faith. There is a place for Mary holding the body of Jesus. And in that space, Mary is not alone. She is a reminder for us that when we ourselves in that space. We are not alone. You know, the crazy thing about this image is I could stare at it all day, and my mind could put all kinds of things on it. Sometimes I could see myself as Jesus, not because I'm Jesus, but because I need to be held by God. I need to remember that in my brokenness, I have that space. Sometimes I see myself in Mary's seat, clutching something that is broken and praying that God will come and fix it and heal it. This image has come to mean so much of me and as silly as it might sound to love an image that carries so much weight, I think for me it's it's a place of permission and a reminder that even though it can be more fun to talk about Mary expecting a child about babies and mangers and shepherds and angels and stars. We couldn't fully appreciate the joy of that moment if we didn't know the reality of this one. We can't truly appreciate what it must have been like when the stone was rolled away without this moment. And so for me in my faith life, Mary has become this space of curiosity where I can imagine myself in Scripture, where I can look at my faith life and the places where it goes up and the places where it goes down, and I can see that even in any one point on the line of my faith history, when I think God is not there, God is there. You know, there's another aspect of this story we don't often talk about, and that is that when Mary finds herself in all of these places, she's never alone is she? The angel's there at the Annunciation. Joseph is there at the birth along with a whole host of people and even here at the cross. Mary sits with a beloved disciple. Wherever she finds herself, joy or sorrow, hope, sadness, anger, frustration, bewilderment, Mary is never alone. There's always this community of faith around her. God is always there with her. That's a beautiful part of this story that when God promises Mary that she's favored, even when circumstances don't seem that favorable, God still shows up. Mary still shows up, as messy as it might be. And God puts around Mary the people and the things she needs for her to be cared for. God doesn't leave Mary in the past. God ties Mary to the future of the faith, and Mary has continued to be present in the faith of all Christians as this important role in the story of the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. So today, as we ponder Mary, we ponder Jesus, we think about ourselves, we listen to the voices of Scripture, the voices of music, we ponder our own life and where we sit in this moment, I pray that Mary can be maybe a reminder, or better yet, an inspiration for us about what it means to be called, to be really called, how God cares for us, how God shows up for us, how God is with us, whatever we're feeling. And how God brings alongside us people in our lives of faith that help us take that next step even when it feels like we might not be able to. You know, Mary's story doesn't end in John's Gospel. She shows up one more time in the New Testament. In the book of Acts, at the very beginning, Mary shows up with the other disciples. It says that they all join together constantly in prayer Along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. That's the last time we hear of Mary in Scripture, at least named specifically. And I kind of love that because we've seen Mary through it all through the call, the Annunciation, the birth, Jesus' ministry, the cross. And now we see her after the resurrection after the ascension, there with the community of faith, praying, loving, moving, continuing these stories, continuing to share her experience, that we might all hear her voice and in her story, we might grow closer to God. I hope we can treasure all that we have learned about Mary. I pray that her story Will renew our faith and renew God's call in our lives. Let us pray. Gracious God, we are Your people. We are a part of a faith that has deep roots and great history. God, in every voice that You bring forward, we find a piece of ourselves. God, thank you for the story of Mary, which has reminded us not only of what our faith calls us to, but of how you love on our way. God, thank you that we have a faith supported by your grace that is not hindered by our emotions, but strengthened by it. Thank you, God, that there is no place no feeling, no time we can be a part of where you are not there. God, thank you for the promise that comes through your Son, Jesus Christ. The promise that death has lost its sting. That even the worst thing that might ever happen to us will not be the last. Because God, we are your children And you have invited us into eternal life. And so, God, we sing to you. We praise you. And we offer ourselves to be ministers of your gospel in this world. To be your hands and feet. To care for one another and all of your creation. And now, God, we offer this prayer in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen.